the end of September. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to come together as a movement from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South and just be able to be refreshed and refresh others as we do that. Dream Team is incredible. Please be a part of that if you can, but also keep an eye out for dates for that as well. Well, who's ready for God's Word this morning? Very cool. Hey, well, last week we began a new series titled In the Beginning. I said it right this week. Uh, And this has been a journey through some of the stories and the narratives of Genesis. And this week we're doing a bit of a part two to last week's series, uh, last week's message on Jacob. We're going back to Bethel this morning, but I didn't celebrate, but last week as well was seven years since Steph and I got engaged. Um, You can go ahead and clap for that. There it is. Um, But let me tell you a bit about the story of how we got engaged, and this is a bit of a story, so uh, settle in your chairs for this. It should have been every red flag for her as this happened, but I remember the morning that that I was about to propose to her, and we went out for breakfast that morning, and, you know, I said all the right things and pulled out the chair and got her ready to sit down for that breakfast, and then I took her back to her house where her sister was waiting, and her sister got her all dressed up and did her makeup and everything, and at this point, she knew that the question was coming. However, she didn't know when it was coming. So I decided that we were going to go climb a mountain. So we drove an hour and a half away, and we hiked up the first mount, up the mountain, and we looked out to the beautiful scenery that was surrounding that mountain. We looked out. We stared at a perfect moment in the nice, cool summer's day. We looked out. I decided, Kaylin, get on one knee. So I got on one knee, and I started to tie my shoelaces, and I looked at her. And I said, far, I'm sweaty. Let's go, let's go back home now. And so we headed back down the mountain. And uh, I decided, I said, man, the view would look so much better, not from this mountain, but from that mountain over there. So we drove. We went for a long drive. At this point, we were both hot and flustered. And we decided we're going to walk up this mountain. So we walked up the second mountain. By this time, I was heaving and breathing. And uh, I decided, Kaylin, get on your knee again. Got on my knee, tied my other shoelace. Caught my breath. I looked at her and I said, well, this is nice. Let's go now. So we ended up heading off again. At this point, she she was fuming. I could feel it. But in my rationality, in my rational brain, I was thinking, Kaylin, this is a great moment. You're like the climactic point of the story where everything's going downhill, that as soon as you pop the question, it's going to be like, heaven's open to you, right? And so we decided, let's go for another drive. And so it was about the eve afternoon, and I took her out for at, to this fancy restaurant. We were sitting there. We were looking at each other. It was a beautiful moment. I was saying all the right things again, you know, greasing it up. And then I looked at her. I said, should we go for a walk? So here it was. At this point, we're driving back to this place that we're about to walk, and she's not saying a word. We walk, we go to this lake, and it's a beautiful moonlit night. Like, you look out at the water, the moon's right there, it's shining on the uh, lake. And we go for an entire lap around this lake. And I look at her and I said, well, that was nice, let's go home now, I'm tired. (laughs) And so we drive off and I actually wanted to make it special, so I went to a spot that really means a lot to me, which was along the Waikato River. Not that anyone really goes there, but we went alongside the Waikato River and I started to veer off as I was driving, this time super silent. We sat there in this weird little place on the side of the Waikato River. We were looking at each other, and all of a sudden we looked in the mirror, and there met us blue and red lights. The police decided to come pull over next to us. They got out. They walked up to my window. They said, hey, what are you doing down here? This is a bit of a dodgy area. And um, 
And then we looked at them and we said, well, it's actually a special moment. And they said, no, no, what are you doing here? I think that you should get off from this spot. And in that moment, I was like, what do I do? So I pulled out the ring box in front of her. I showed the police and the police started to back away. And uh, he said, have a good night. And now I should have caught this as my red flag. Steph hops out of her seat. She walks around to the driver's side of the window, opens my door, pulls my ear and drags me out of the car. And she said, Kaylin, you're still proposing on one knee. So I got down on my knee. She said yes before I even had, not, had, had, had a chance to ask her. Now, the truth is this this morning. Every one of us have a spot like this. Every one of us have places we go back to where we remember, where we recount, where we retell, and where we re-experience some of those memories. We all have these places. Uh, But we're picking up a story this morning, and again, I'm going to say that this is a bit of a part two because we're going back to Jacob. I really felt on my heart to go back to the place where Jacob revisits in order to encounter God again. It's back to Bethel. Genesis 35, verse 1 to 4 and verse 7, it says this. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We're now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Now, just to set a bit of a context for you this morning, a couple of chapters before this is Genesis chapter 28, where we've set out for us the context of why Bethel was such a significant place for Jacob. In fact, it shows us why God would call him to return to that place. See, Bethel was significant in the fact that the Bible tells us that this is a place where Jacob receives the promises of God, which were also given to Abraham. It tells us and it shows us the moment where he begins to see a ladder from heaven to earth where angels were ascending and descending and at the top of it was the Lord our God. It tells us that Jacob makes his commitment to God and an oath and a promise to him. Uh, And because Jacob had then seen God's goodness in this place, he calls this place Bethel, the house of God. Now I really truly believe this morning that God is drawing us back to Bethel. He's drawing us back to a place where we will re-encounter our promises with him, retell the promises and commitments that we made with him, bring us back to the covenant and oath that we made to our God in order that we might encounter and experience him again. In fact, friend, if you're looking for a title this morning, write this down, Back to Bethel. Everyone say, Back to Bethel. Now, there's three things that I want to encourage us with out of the story of Jacob and his return to Bethel that all of us should be encouraged to do also. See, friend, if we're going to go back to this place of Bethel, back to this place of encountering God, then, friend, firstly, you've got to know today that you ought to get rid of your idols. See, Genesis 35, verse 2 to 4 tells us this. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We're now going to Bethel where I'll build an altar to the God who answered my prayers. Now, I was reminded this week of a story about a teacher, and the teacher comes in front of her classroom, and she asks her students, what religious upbringing or what religious objects do you have within your home? And one boy, he mustered up, and he said, 
We have a picture of a woman with a halo and she holds a baby. And every morning my mother will wake up, she'll get on her knees and she'll pray before this object. The next little boy said, we have a brass statue of an Asian man seated with crossed legs. And every day my parents will come and they'll burn an incense, incense stick before it. Then a third boy wondering, what is it about our household that makes us religious? What religious ideas do we have or uphold? And then he remembered, every morning his mother would wake up. In the, in the bathroom they had a little platform and every morning the mother would go and step on this platform. And she'd watch as the numbers began to go up. And as the numbers went up and up, she'd always cry out to her God. See, those things, friend, were idols. Now, if you're familiar, if you didn't get it, it was a weight scale. Thanks for the, <laughs> thanks for the uh, nice laughs out there. Now, if you're, familiar with the, uh, if you're familiar with the history of the nation of Israel, you'll understand today that Israel always gets a glimpse of who God is and they return to their idols. God shows his faithfulness, the nation of Israel returns to their idols. God shows his power, they return to idols. God shows his goodness, they return to idols. God shows his love towards the nation and they return to their idols. What's an idol this morning? Let me define that for us. An idol, friend, is any person or thing which consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, money, other than God. You know, when I first started walking with the Lord, my auntie used to always encourage me in my giving. And she told me the story of how when they were brand new to faith, uh, my uncle felt stirred when they came back to the Lord. Uh, he felt stirred by the Lord to trust God with his finances. And at this point, he wanted to give as an act of worship. And at this point, they were down to their last provision. They had no idea of the food which was in their cupboard. They had bills to, to pay, but he knew in his heart that the Lord was calling him to give. Now, my auntie, she was miserably unhappy. And as they went to church that day, she stared him down uh, and, and she gave him the evil eyes from, the, from beside him. And as he gave, she just ignored, he ignored her as she death stared him. Now, they left church and as they were driving home, uh, she applied the silent treatment as well. As well. But they approached their home and right there waiting on the porch were groceries to last them for a couple of weeks. And within the first box was an envelope of money. Uh, no one had knowledge of the situation around him giving. But an old friend who they'd once helped out felt an urgency to repay them with in kindness for what they'd done for her in the past. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. I'm not, I don't want your money. I'm not giving you this bit of a story to irk you to give. If anything, when it comes to your giving, ask God and follow him out of obedience. But it's this. My auntie, she admitted to me that, that her finances had always been an idol because her security and her life were all wrapped up and dependent upon it. You know, myself, over the last week, I recently deleted all of my social media platforms. Not that I did much on them. But I realized that my validation, my worth, my expectations were coming and becoming so wrapped up within my social media platforms. In other words, social media for me had become an idol. Let me ask you this morning, what are the idols in your life? The things that, you've hold on, that you're holding on to, but in reality are holding on to you. What has your focus? What has your finances? Friend, what has your heart? What has your attention? What has your affection? What has become a place of worry over a place of worship? Because let me, you need to know this morning that, friend, if it's not God, then chances are it's worship of an idol. See, someone needs to hear and know today that, friend, things might look a little tight financially for you right now, but I want to encourage you this morning. Your security, friend, won't be found in the idols of your possession or in the grind. It's found in God. 
There are people in this room that need to know that the waiting of a relationship may be hard and difficult for you in this season, but I'm here to tell you that your satisfaction won't be found in the idols of lust or sleeping around. Friend, it's found only in God. I know that the opportunity that you got a glimpse of, but God closed the door on it and it looked great. Friend, your big break this morning isn't coming in the idol of your experience or the grind. It's coming only from God. I know that your situations in your life right now may be overwhelming you to the point where you feel burnt out and weighed down by the things that are happening. But your peace, friend, won't be found in the idol of drugs, alcohol, addiction, or searching around. Friend, it's found only in God. So I'm here to encourage you this morning, if we're going to go back to Bethel, back to the place of our commitment and the place of encounter with God, friend, we're going to need to get rid of those idols. See, here's the second thing that Jacob does is he goes back to the place of Bethel. Friend, I want to encourage you this morning, would you build an altar? Everyone say, build an altar. See, Genesis 35 verse 3 says this, Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I'll build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. You know, in in Jacob's first encounter at Bethel in Genesis 28, he places a pillar. And now in Genesis 35, he returns to this place, Bethel, and he builds an altar, altar. Friend, you need to know today that altar or that pillars were places of memory, but altars were places of exchange. Pillars were places that memorialized a moment, but altars were a place of movement. And in fact, if you're if you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write this down. Moments without momentum are monuments, but moments with momentum are movements. Friend, we all know this in practice. You take one step, it's a moment. You take two steps, it becomes momentum. You take more than that, and friends, you've got yourself a movement. See, I don't want to be satisfied. I'm passionate about revival history, if you know me. If you know anything about me, I love moves of God. I love the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I love the old reformations and heroes of the faith. Just listen, I talk about it all the time. But I never want to be known as a person who is satisfied with the idea of a memory of God moving back then. Friend, I want to be a convicted person, a person who holds tight to the conviction that if God could move then, then God could move today. I don't want to be satisfied with the memory of God doing it then, but convinced that he is moving and can do it again. Now, I really felt this morning that there's people in this room and you've allowed your memories with God, your moments with God to become memories. You've allowed those moments to become memories where God wanted to build momentum and get you moving. In fact, what's an altar this morning? Let me set the context of what an altar is. See, all throughout Scripture, we see these moments where throughout the Old Testament, they build altars. But the first mention of these altars is the place where Noah builds one beyond the flood to memorialize the fact that God had moved. But it's not really until Exodus that they're given its function and its purpose. And we see this in Exodus 20, verse 24. It says this, Make an altar of the earth for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Get this, wherever I cause my name to be honored, I'll come to you and I'll bless you. See, altars were these places of sacrifice, of cleansing, of offering, of fellowship, of worship, a place where we could go to meet with God. However, we know also in future, now that we're in the new covenant, we know that in Jesus, he came as our great offering sacrifice, that by the applying of his blood, we were washed clean, that through him, the veil was torn, giving us direct access to God, that in fellowship, in unity with one another, we might worship him wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth. See, in Jesus, we see the objectives of the practice fulfilled, but we also know that there's still a principle to be gained. 
See, theologically this morning, you can experience God wherever you are. You can experience God in any moment because this is called the omnipresence of God, his everywhereness. Jacob even says that he'd build the altar in honor of the God who had already been with him every step of his journey. He built an altar. In other words, he built a consistent place of habit which he would return to a place where he would worship God. Now, if we were to apply that truth to our lives today, the majority of us would say that the place we most often worship and experience God, hopefully it's firstly in your alone time with God, but also many of us would say that that would be in the community of God, the church. Now, let me ask you this morning, is attending church for you a part of your habit? Is church for you an altar place in your life where you seek to return in order to fellowship and worship the Lord our God? Is church a commodity in your life or is it a necessity? Are you building this morning your life on the practice and habit and the foundation of attending his house? See, here's the truth this morning for every single one of us. Write this down. If you try to find time, you'll never find it. And that's why you need to make time, make time for the things which matter most. You know, when I first got saved, God started to tear down some of those walls of pride where I used to walk around and say, I don't need church, I am the church. Uh, and then God started to show me through his word uh, that the community of God was an important, important part of our foundation as believers. In fact, it was such an important part that God revealed through scripture that I made it one of my non-negotiables. My non-negotiable for my life would be that I would attend a Sunday service regardless of what was happening. See, there's an importance to being plugged in and planted in a house. But I also made the decision that if I was away from my local church, I would find a place that I could go that were faithful to God's word, that were faithful to worship, and that were faithful to being spirit-led and spirit-filled. You know, I'd get to a service wherever I was, and I'd go to it as long as those things were uphold. In fact, today our family has adopted this non-negotiable. We say tummy hunters are serious about God's house. It's one of the things that we live by. One time we went to Tauranga for a, um, a bit of a holiday, two days, and we spent our whole Sunday at five different services along the day. My wife did not like that. Tummy hunters were not that serious about God's house. Um, but it reminded me of the story about Michael Jones. He's, an, he's a famous man, one of the top three All Blacks of history. And his reputation was defined both, both by his ability and skill on the field, but also by the deep conviction and faith that he held. In fact, one of the things, one of his non-negotiables that he'd lived by was that he would not play a single game of rugby if it happened to fall on a Sunday. In fact, one of the things or one of the things that I really respect and admire is he held on to this conviction in the light of the World Cups. Friend, he didn't play like three World Cups because of this non-negotiable in his life. So you need to know today that church can be an incredible tool for witnessing. Whenever I tell people I can't make plans on a Sunday or you'll have to wait until after church for that, what I'm really asking and showing them and what I really want people to see and know and think is, man, this person is serious about this Jesus stuff. And if he's so serious about this Jesus stuff, there must be truth in it. And my expectation is that they'll come and check it out. Friend, I want to encourage every single one of us today, build an altar, a place of worship that you return, that you return to, to worship, to fellowship, and to unify in pursuit of and after God. See, the final thing is this, if the keys would join me, is this. Jacob, when he returns to Bethel, he encourages us in this to renew our commitment. See, Genesis 35, verse 91 says this, Now that Jacob had returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob. You will no, no, no longer be called Jacob, uh, Jacob, but it will be Israel. 
Um, so God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am Al Shaddai, the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Going back to Genesis, you will become a great nation. Even many nations, kings will be among your descendants, and I'll give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I'll give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from that place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoke. Continues on, it says this. Then he poured wine over it as an offering. God anointed the pillar with olive oil. And God and Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Now it was in this place, it was at this place in Genesis 28, this place called Bethel, that God and Jacob had a moment of exchanging of commitments. Jacob sets his intentions and his oath towards God. And in our passage today, we see that Jacob returns to this place and God recounts and recalls these significant promises, but also brings them back to remembrance. Remember, your name is no longer Jacob, it's Israel. He reminds him of the commitments that he'd made to him. See, often when life goes pear-shaped for me, or whenever I feel like I'm distant from God, one of the things that I always do is I return to my place of encounter. I always think and I return to this place where I made a commitment to follow Jesus. I returned to that place where it was one morning, don't know how I got to church at 4 a.m. I was up till 4 a.m., went to church at six o'clock and I was there right in the middle of, of the congregation in Hamilton, the place where no one goes. And I was standing there in the middle of worship and everyone around me had their hands up and I was like, man, what's up with these people? They're crazy. And then I felt just this unction and the stirring, lift your hands. So I lifted my hands and my hands were before God. Then I started to surrender and make that commitment to him. And as I did, friend, in front of me was a vision. In front of me was more real than the skin on my bones, Jesus on the cross. And he was up on the cross and there was this look of desperation, this look of angst, but this look of love towards me. His arms were outstretched on the cross and he said, Kaylin, this is how much I love you. As far as the east is from the west, this is how much I love you and I invite you in. Friend, every time I go back to that place of remembering that moment, Something begins to stir in my heart. I get a momentum. I rely to fire. I rely to passion. I move again. I hope again. I dream again. I believe again. I re-encounter God in that moment. Another special moment for me is I remember the moment a week later at my baptism, at the baptism service, where I stood on the stage and there were many people out in the congregation, but I remember not a single face. But instead what I saw was a silhouette, an outline of black figures, where the light was shining on the back of them. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Kaylin, this is what I want you to do with your life. This is what I'm calling you to do. Encourage and empower my people. You know, I think about that moment. And anytime I feel like I'm operating or moving out of the call of God, I remember that promise that God called me to. You know, I really believe this morning that there's some people in this room, friend, you need to go back to Bethel back to your commitment to him because God wants to remind you of the promises that he has for you to give your faith and your life movement and momentum again. See, here's the beauty of our text this morning. Genesis 28 paints this beautiful picture. Jacob in this place seeing heaven meeting earth and a ladder from heaven to earth and the Lord at the top of it. You know, again, that foreshadows the person of Christ because we know today that the greatest person the person who brought heaven to earth is the person of Jesus Christ. See, John 3 verse 31 says this, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. 
Friend and church, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take communion together as an act of worship. And if anyone didn't get one of those as you came in through the door, you can just pop your hand up and our team will get one of those into your hand this morning. Again, there's no pressure for you to participate in this moment. But I really want us to search our heart and take a moment this morning as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, to search our heart, to get rid of the idols which are holding us back from total commitment to God, to begin to build an altar, a returning place to God, and to renew and remember our commitments to Him. Awesome. So we're going to take that moment this morning. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Let's prepare our hearts as we prepare to take communion and worship the Lord. thank you this morning that you're in this place. God, just as it was last week, the place Peniel where we saw you face to face, God, I pray that this moment would be a Bethel moment, a moment where we honor and cherish your house and the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, the thing that you paid for us on the cross. Lord, we take a moment this morning to really remember and honor you through that. God, we worship you. Lord, we pray even in this moment as we search our heart, God, what are those things in our heart that are setting us back from total commitment and surrender to you? God, help us as we build an altar, a place of return to worship you. And God, remind every single person of the promises and plans that you have for their life this morning. God, help us to renew our commitment. God, we choose even from this moment on, whether we've been walking with you for two seconds or 200 years. God, we pray that this moment would be a defining moment of our faith a place that we can return to when things are up, when things are down. God, in our mountains and in our valleys, Lord, we thank you and we remember you in this moment. In Jesus' name, come on, let's eat and drink together.